Welcome. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7. Let's get ready to dig into God's Word today. If you didn't bring your Bible, no big deal. All the scripture I read will be on the screen. Pull out the notes so that you can follow along or maybe fire up your journey app. We're in week two of a series called Jesus and Spiritual Foundations. We're also in the second week of our summer ministry, so we need your help a little bit inside your bulletin. uh, We've got this little card that says Team JCI Summer of 2021. Here's where we need your help. We've added a Saturday night service so that all of our church can be together in one place for our weekend services instead of scattered in two different locations like we were in the spring. But here's what we specifically need our Sunday morning church crowd to do. We need about 25 people who come to church on Sunday morning to help in Saturday night children's ministry two or three times this summer. So if you'd be willing to do that, if a parent comes and helps in the children's ministry on Saturday night, they don't have another service to come to because we only have one. So we got about half of what we needed last week. We need another dozen or so people that will say, I'll give two or three Saturday nights this summer. If you want to do that, you can check the family ministry box there. If you're more technologically oriented, you can text the word journey team to 474747. It'll send you this card. You can fill it out that way. You need to know it's not child care. It's ministry. It's child ministry. Last week, we had an eight-year-old girl who came and was a part of one of our services. And last week, our children's ministry was teaching on John 3, 16, that God loves the world so much, he gave his son so that anyone who believed in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. And she was kind of a little teary-eyed, eight years old after the message, and asked one of our leaders if she could talk to her. And after our children's ministry service was over, one of our leaders pulled her aside and basically said, what's wrong Why are you crying? How can I help? Her mom and dad are separated, getting ready to get a divorce. Uh, Her mom brings her to church. Her dad told her, heaven is probably not real and neither is God. So like that stuff's just not important to me. And she said, it was good to be reminded that it's real and I can still believe in it. It's not babysitting. It's children's ministry. And if you want to come love a child and remind them that Jesus loves them this summer, we could use your help, fill that out, throw it in the box when you leave. It would, it would be a great help to parents who are coming on Saturday night for you to do that. Of course, we're in the middle of summer. Next week is Father's Day. Pretty exciting weekend at Journey Saturday and all our Sunday services. Kind of a baseball theme. So if you want to wear your Royals gear or whatever your favorite team is that is less than the Royals gear, um, you can wear that if you want. We'll have a cool photo booth. On Saturday night, we're going to be playing Wiffle Ball Home Run Derby with Dad and grandpas out in the parking lot. So if you want to take your shot at that, come on Saturday night. We'll have too many cars on Sunday, Um, but it's going to be a good time. We're going to be handing out popcorn and peanuts and Cracker Jacks and just celebrating dad. So bring dad, bring grandpa. And listen, if you have a spiritual father in your life that maybe is not even aware that they are your spiritual father, invite them to celebrate Father's Day with you. Tell them that you would not be who you were spiritually without them and invite them to be a part of it. Uh, As we celebrate dads next weekend, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Matthew chapter 7. Where are we and why are we here? We're in Matthew 7 to learn the foundational beliefs that followers of Jesus embrace as their spiritual worldview. Six messages in Matthew chapter 7. Everybody say 567. Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the 27th message of that. That was Jesus' foundational ministry worldview, who he was, what he came to taught, how he wanted people to connect to God. Matthew chapter 5 is all about what Jesus wants you to become. Matthew chapter 6 is all about how Jesus wants you to behave. Matthew chapter 7 is how Jesus wants you to believe to make it through the most difficult seasons of life. We'll get to the end of Matthew 7, and Jesus will say, you're going to have years like 2020 and 2021 that shake your life. But if your foundation is firm, 
When you go through years where the storm is blowing like crazy, like it was Thursday or Friday this week when that storm blew through our area, when you go through years where the rain is torrential and the floodwaters are rising, like when you go through the worst years in life, if your foundation is secure, you're going to be okay. If it's not, everything's going to fall apart and you will have to rebuild. So we're trying to figure out what are those foundational pieces of our beliefs that allow us to make it through the most difficult years of our lives. That's the goal of Matthew chapter 7. Last week we looked at foundational belief number one. Today we'll be in number two. Here's our goals to highlight the difference between religion and relationship spiritually. For those of you who study ancient history like me, I was a history major before God called me to the ministry. I wanted to be a high school history and government teacher. It's my passion. I love history. You'll realize that from the first written history ever recorded hieroglyphics in caves in places in South America and Africa in the Middle East, you have found man attempting to get to God. That's what's called religion, man trying to figure out how to get to God. In Christianity, you have the story of God attempting to come to man through relationship. That's, that's Jesus. So we're going to look at the difference between religion, man trying to get to God, and relationship, God trying to get to man. We're also, number two, going to see the good heart of our Savior, and we're going to see how we really have to train our minds to think about the good heart of our Savior so that we're not manipulated to be separated from Jesus just by believing in the goodness of God, but in the wrong way. I think we'll talk through some things today that you're aware of and you'll think, I hadn't thought of it that way, but for me to be solid in my faith, I need to understand what the good heart of God means for me and those around me that I'm trying to impact spiritually. Before we ever read God's word at our church, we always ask God to just get our hearts ready. So would you bow your heads with me quickly? Take that deep breath to settle your spirit into this moment. And two prayers. First, a prayer of confession. If there's anything that would keep your heart from receiving spiritually today, just ask God to to remove it. And then ask God to speak to your heart. God, that's our prayer. Life is so hard, so discouraging, so broken, so stressful sometimes that things can get in the way of our hearts receiving from you. So God, just get our hearts ready. And then plant some seeds that can lead to transformation. God, all of the written history of the world that we find in museums around the world tells us that man's been on a quest to find you since the beginning of time. In Jesus, we read a story of God's quest to come to us and to live in a relationship with us, to find us. So God, show us Jesus more clearly today and help us love him more deeply because of what we study. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12 today. Message 27 on the Sermon on the Mount starts this way. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So last week we asked two questions to get us to spiritual foundation. Number one, question number one we asked was mirrors or window. When you look at your spiritual worldview, is it first a mirror to your soul or is it just a window through which you judge everyone else? Jesus said, make sure you know your own heart first. Then we asked specks or planks. And we said, realizing the plank of our own sin that Jesus was crucified on, that is 
That is the starting point from seeing the whole world clearly so we can help them and love them well too. Today we're going to ask two more questions to get to foundation number two. Question number one is going to be this, religion or relationship. When you think about Christianity, do you instantly think of religion and religious practices or do you think of a person named Jesus that you have a relationship with? Religion or relationship. Most of us think of it as a religion about a person named Jesus rather than a relationship with a person named Jesus. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 wants to change that a little bit, how we see and think about him. He says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. This is, this is a verse that can be applied to prayer, but it's not primarily about prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught us about prayer. In our series, Jesus and Inner Strength, he taught his disciples how to pray so that we could connect to God on an internal level. But when we look at this verse, it's less about the practice of prayer and more about the pursuit of relationship. Jesus is mostly talking about the pace of our interactions with him, not the intimacy of our prayer life with him. When we, if we would read this in the Greek language that it was originally written in, we would see that these three words, ask, seek, and knock, are all written in the present imperative case, which means they're continuous actions. Say, so what does present imperative mean? Present means it's always now. So Jesus said, any moment in your life that is now, which is every moment of your life, should be a moment where you're engaged with me. That's what present means. Imperative means it's important and it's urgent. So Jesus literally said, every moment of your life that you would describe as now should be a moment where you urgently want to connect with me. That's what that verse means. It really has very little to do with teaching us about prayer. It has everything to do with teaching us about how we develop a relationship with Jesus. Just every moment that is now, our heart yearns to be with Jesus. Can you imagine if some of us got to know our spouse the way that so many Christians get to know Jesus, how little we would know our spouse. Danielle and I met for the first time in March of 1998. I was a sophomore in college. She was a senior in high school. She was visiting the place where I went to school. And the, and the person who introduced us knew her a little bit, knew me a little bit. I spent just three minutes getting to know Danielle. And at the end of it, the chancellor of the school, Dr. Jerry Falwell, who was kind of a, a mentor of mine, uh, told me this, Danielle, she's coming here to school next year. And he said, you should date her. Um, and it was like, Yes, sir. Now, I didn't tell my girlfriend at the time. He had told me that, but it's like, well, Dr. Falwell said so. So Danielle shows up to school next, the next year in August, and we get reacquainted at one of our chapel services. Um, from that August, we hung out on a night. December 28th of that year, we were engaged. July 10th of the next year, we were married, and no, she wasn't pregnant. I got asked that question so many times that I felt like that has to now be a part of the story. Every time I would tell one of my redneck friends from Ohio, they're like, dude, you're getting married and you just met this girl? They would always, like, is she pregnant? It's like, no, she isn't pregnant. I got asked that so many times, I started to doubt myself. I thought, I don't think she's pregnant. Like, no, no, she's not pregnant, but it's a part of the story. We got married nine months after we met because we loved each other, not because um, she was pregnant. That's, that's, That's our story. Can you imagine if those were the only four moments that Danielle and I ever had together. Because when you ask people about their journey with Jesus, that's what it sounds like. I had this moment with Jesus where like I gave my heart to Jesus. Then like three or four years later, I was at this revival and like I really developed like a little more depth. And then I went on this mission trip. And like when you say, tell me about your journey with Jesus, they tell you about three or four moments and that's it. And Jesus said, "That's that's not a relationship. 
Like you build relationship with like face-to-face, voice-to-voice time. Remember those of us over 40, how much time you used to talk on the phone when you were dating someone that you were like in love with? Remember when you would fall asleep on the phone? Remember making long-distance phone calls and paying for those? Everyone under 30 is like, what is that? It's not a thing anymore. You like you don't even have to worry about. It. I remember Christmas of the year that Danielle and I got engaged. People buying me calling cards as Christmas presents, and they were like gold to me because now I could make a call to Danielle, who was in Kansas City from Southern Ohio, and I didn't have to pay like thirteen dollars and ninety nine cents a minute. Like you remember? Like you remember collect calls? You have a collect call from Christian. It's like I want to talk to you, but I can't pay for it. Will you pay for this one? Like, like. <laughs> You remember those days? I don't know how they do it anymore because there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of like voice-to-voice and face-to-face talk. But Danielle and I, we fell in love in our private moments, not our public moments. But most people don't have many private moments with Jesus. That's what Matthew 6 was about. We're, we're going to fall in love as we, as we hang out. And, and we're going to you're going to ask and seek and knock and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking and always ask and always seek and always knock. And then when that's done, you're going to come back and ask. like, this is going to be a thing that you continuously do. Every moment in your life you would call now is a moment where you want to be with Jesus. That's what, that's what a relationship with Jesus looks like, which is far different than religion. You say, well, why is it so important to be that close to Jesus? What we learned as we put last week and this week's message together is this. Ongoing relationships with people demand an ongoing relationship with Jesus. You say, why? Because people cause problems. And people have problems. And sometimes people are problems. <laughs> like, in, it is true. Thank you. Like in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, Jesus says, here's why it's going to be so important to spend so much time with me because I've asked you to spend time with other people. People cause problems. People have problems. People are problems. Why is it so, why is it so important to stay close to Jesus? Because people problems. He gave us two in the first six verses of Matthew chapter 7. He said, one, everyone you know has some speck in their eye that they need help with. Everyone you know has an area where they're struggling spiritually, and you should help them. How am I going to do that? You have to stay really close to me. You have to stay really close to me. And... When we talk about dogs and pigs, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the Activate podcast last week, there's going to be a lot of areas in your life where you need spiritual wisdom. It's not sure what to do. You're not sure who to trust with what and how much. Say, how do I, God, how do I know what to do? Jesus said, you're going to stay really close to me. So Jesus says, every day that you spend with someone who's struggling spiritually, every day that you need spiritual wisdom has to be a day you're talking to me. Because people problems have Jesus solutions. If we're engaged relationally, and it's not just a religious practice of yours. Look at verse 8. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. When we look at what Jesus gives us, we see he's not just available for relationship. He's responsive in that relationship. Jesus said, you will talk to me. I will talk back to you. Like we, I will help you real time, all the time. I will help you. It's not just about you asking and seeking and knocking. It's actually about you receiving and finding and having the door open to you. Like, I want to live in a real-time, all-the-time relationship with you, not just so I can be available to you, but I will be responsive to you. I will help you. 
but you got to live life with me. We're getting ready to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of our church in September. And you say, Christian, as you look back on the last decade of our church and the next decade of our church, what's the one area that you want to just do way, way better? And for me, it's, it's having a church that makes disciples who make disciples. That I want to do better in the discipleship area. So in January, I called a team of people together and I said, will you help me create a process that we can measure and that we can formulate, that can be super intentional, that will help people become disciples who make disciples. And over six months, we've come up with what we call discipleship tracks, kind of a pathway, a four-year pathway that you can go through that helps you really not just know who Jesus is, but fall in love with Jesus that helps you not just know Scripture but apply it to your life, that helps you not just apply Scripture to your life but helps you learn how to lead someone else to do the same thing and over and over and over. So we're going to ask in the fall of 2021 kind of as a beta test some of you to jump in one of these tracks and start learning about Jesus or Scripture or how to apply those to your life or how to lead someone else to do that, how to disciple somebody else. And then in January 2022, our whole church will be shaped this way so that when you come into our church, We'll say, what's your spiritual next step? Which one of these four do you want? And we'll put you in this wheel to help you become a disciple who can make a disciple. And, and if you're a part of our church for 20 years, you'll go through each one of these things five times as we continue to roll this out to our discipleship time and say, all right, make it better, make it better, make it better. Ask questions. We, we had a good question asked. And one of the questions was, you know, how do we make sure that after rotation, after rotation, after rotation, people are still drawn to these things? And one of the questions asked was, how do we make sure specifically in the Jesus track. The people who have been believers for 15, 20 years don't find like the Jesus stuff too elementary, like been there, done that. I'm reading this email as I'm driving down the road, so I reinterpreted it in my head. I reinterpreted it in a way that it wasn't asked, but I basically asked myself this question. Okay, what do you do when people have grown past Jesus? And I felt like God slammed the brakes on in my spirit, and here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. Jesus is not a topic you learn. He's a person you love. You never grow past Jesus. You can't learn him. You can't pass the test. Like, you never cross the finish line of, all right, I'm done with Jesus, go to the next thing. Because he's not, he's not a topic. He's a person. Like, when do you grow past getting to know your spouse so you don't have to spend any more time with them? Hopefully never. Hopefully never. When you grow past knowing your kids so you don't have to spend any time with them, hopefully when they graduate from college. Like, like hopefully they'll go and they won't go, like, grow past you. You don't grow past Jesus. Like, Jesus is not a topic you learn. He's a person you love. And we're living in a church world, some of it that's ramping up so much theologically. There are a lot of people who say you find Jesus, but you study Paul. Find Jesus, but love Paul. There are scores of Christians in our country today who when they get to heaven are going to sprint past Jesus so they can have their book of Romans autographed by Paul. Jesus is going to be like, welcome to heaven. Like, where are you going? Like, where's Paul? And it's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Paul's not the guy who got you here. Paul, like, everything Paul said was about the other guy. Like, we got to make sure it's all about Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He's not a thing you learn. He's a person that you love. And as we learn to build the spiritual foundation of its relationship, it's not religion. It's so important to remember Christianity is a relationship with a person named Jesus. How do you view it? When you hear Christianity, religious stuff you do, or a person you have a relationship with. It's an important distinction to make. Question number two, snakes or fish? Snakes or fish? By the way, if your answer to this question is ever snakes, we have somebody to pray with you um, after church. Because like, if these are the only options, 
For me, it's always fish. Three verses, three words that we want to review. Stone, snake, father. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Stone, snakes, father. Let's start with father. Jesus refers to God as father nine times in the Sermon on the Mount. You have to understand what he is doing and what Matthew is doing. So the Gospel of Matthew, many scholars believe, was the first one of the Jesus books written in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was written very specifically to a Hebrew audience. It was written to Jewish Christians or Jewish people who were considering Christianity. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, is Jesus kind of coming out party spiritually. This is who I am and this is what I believe. The only spoken words Jesus really has publicly before Matthew chapter 5 are telling some disciples, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he basically says, this is what I believe. And Matthew presents this teaching of a new rabbi in Israel with this guy named Jesus who keeps referring to God as father, which is a totally foreign concept in Jewish religion. Rarely, almost never in the Old Testament is God referred to as father. When he is referred to as father, it's almost always as the father of the nation, not the father of a person. They just didn't view God that way. But here comes Jesus with this new teaching, and the father heart of God is one of the most important aspects of his teaching. See God as your heavenly spiritual father. This was an issue in the ministry of Jesus. This insulted the spiritual elite of Jesus' day who saw a relationship with God more as religion than relationship. They didn't think they could get close to him. There was no thought of like having intimacy with a God who knew you and who loved you. As a matter of fact, Jesus calling God Father was one of the reasons they wanted to kill him. John said, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was calling God his own Father. You just didn't do it. That level of intimacy was seen as hypocrisy was seen as heresy. He just didn't do that. Let me give you a little picture of how off limits this was 2,000 years ago. This is the Hebrew word um, Yahweh that was given to Moses. When Moses is on Mount Sinai and God calls Moses to go free the people and Moses said, who, who should I say sent me? God says, I am, I am who I am. And it's the, it's the name for God, Yahweh. It's three Hebrew letters, two of them that are repeated, Yod, He, Vav, He. Those are, those are the letters. The people of Israel would not say the name Yahweh out loud because they thought it was offensive to God. You could not, you could not be that close to God to like call him by his first name. It's why so many of our Jewish friends wear their kippu. They cover their head because they believe that God's presence is everywhere. And if you ever uncover your head in the presence of God, you're making yourself equal with God. So one of the ways you are a, a servant of God is you always keep your head covered. That basically says God has authority over me. That's, that's the symbol there. So they would never say this name. They developed a way to talk about God by just saying the letters rather than saying the name. Remember when you used to spell cuss words in front of your kids instead of like saying them so they wouldn't, like, so they wouldn't know what you were saying? Like this, this is the concept. We're going to, when we talk about God, we're just going to say the letters. So when they, when they would talk about God, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say, Yahweh, They would just say, they would say the first sound that the letter made, Yahweh, But they wouldn't say it out loud, they'd whisper it. So if you were in a conversation with someone 2,000 years ago and you were talking about God, you would say, Yahweh, The reverence that they had for God, Yahweh. 
If you would transliterate and try to spell out Yahweh, Vaheh, you would get the word Jehovah, which is the word they used in the Old Testament for God most of the time. That was kind of like his nickname that was more respectful. That was like calling him Mr. God rather than just God without the Mr. Like you never called God by his proper name, never called him Yahweh. If anything, you might call him Jehovah. The real spiritual people, they just whisper, and then Jesus shows up calling him dad. And they're like, you can't do that. You can't call him dad. That's so offensive. You can't call him dad. And Jesus said, if you don't think of him as dad, you'll never understand his love for you. Like if you don't learn the father heart of God, you'll you'll never understand his love for you. So he says, let me give you a picture. Which one of you good dads, if your kid like asks for bread because they're hungry, would give him a stone? He's like, nobody. Because a stone would be a refusal to meet a physical need. Like I'm hungry, you can't eat that. Good dads understand one of their primary responsibilities is to meet the physical needs of their family. And no dad, if their kid asks for a fish, would give him a snake. Now, we think of both of those animals being alive. They, they weren't. Kids are asking for something to eat. Lots of Middle Eastern cultures eat snakes. The kids would not have known whether it was a snake or a fish because by the time you skin it and you cut it up and you cook it and you put it on a plate, it could have looked very similar. No, no dad, if their kid asks for a fish, will give them a snake. You say, why not? Because snakes weren't on the kosher diet. A snake would be a refusal to meet a spiritual need. You would be doing something that would disconnect your children spiritually from God. So Jesus said, every good dad understands their top two priorities are meeting the physical needs and spiritual needs of their children. When you stand before God one day, dads, you're going to answer for these things. Did you meet the physical needs and spiritual needs of your family? Jesus said, every good dad meets the physical needs and spiritual needs of their family. And he said, if that's how broken dads love their kids, how much more does God love you? Jesus phrased it this way. You're evil and you do a good job of that. You say, that's offensive, but it's also true. Sometimes true things are offensive. Jesus said, because of original sin, commissional sin, omissional sin, we talked about that last week, because you were born with a sin nature and you do things that break things and you don't do things that make things better, like because you're broken, even broken fathers meet the physical and spiritual needs of their children. So how much more is your heavenly father going to work to meet those needs? The question is much more. Jesus says, understanding the father heart of God is a game changer spiritually. And for those of us who have kids, we understand how we love our kids and what we do for our kids. If God loves us that way, plus more, it's a game changer. Jesus wants to use the Father heart of God to draw you closer to God. Satan wants to use the Father heart of God to deceive and separate you from God. While we're talking about snakes, let's talk about the serpent. From the beginning, Satan has tried to convince people that God is not a good father and that he's withholding something from you. From the very beginning, first conversation we ever see Satan have with humanity. Satan has worked to convince humanity that God's offer of relationship and direction would keep them from having everything they ever wanted, indeed keep them from having everything that they needed. So Satan kind of slides up next to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So do you believe God is good? Yes. You believe God loves you and has given you everything you need? Yes then why can't you have that? And instead of the intelligent spiritual answer, 
that says, if God is really good and loves me like a father, and if he's given me everything that I physically need and spiritually need, but he's told me I shouldn't have that, instead of saying, I guess it's because I don't need it, they begin to think, not the thing is bad, but that God is bad. And Satan, since the beginning of time, more than tempting you to sin, he wants to change the way you think so that you do not see God properly. And the latest kind of iteration of this is is Satan is, I believe, infiltrated the Christian church and liberal Christianity and progressive Christianity is trying to hijack the concept of Father God from the church, but they're misapplying it in what it means. They're saying this, God is good and loves you like a father, loves his kids. True. God wants you to be happy. I would go a step further and say God wants you to be totally fulfilled. And then they would say, because of that, anything that makes you happy, you should do it. God doesn't care. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not what the father heart of God means. Because practically, no parents even believe that about like parenting. No parents believe that if I'm a good parent, I just do whatever make my kids happy. Amen? Like, if parents believe that having the father heart of God meant doing whatever makes your kids happy at any moment, no kid would ever have a bedtime, no child would ever be told no, no child would ever eat vegetables. All the children in the room are like, I can get on board. Like, like keep going. I like this church. Um, it would be oppressive to make your kids go to school. It would be offensive to ever take them to the doctor because you knew there was something wrong with them. No parent, no parent believes that parenting is giving your kids whatever makes them happy at the time. Your kids would be taken from you by the Department of Child Services if you parented that way because good parents set boundaries to keep their kids healthy. If your kid wanted to eat candy every night for dinner, you would say no not because you're a bad parent, but because you're a good parent who knows more and better than your kids. And the question for us as a Christian movement, as the liberal and progressive Christian world tries to rip the father heart of God away from the church and say, what it means is do whatever makes you happy and God doesn't care because he's just a big old granddad and he just wants you to be happy. It's like, that's not what parenting is. It's not what grandparenting is. And it's not what the father heart of God is. We need to learn to say, is God good and does he love me like a father loves his kids? Yes. Does he want me to be happy and fulfilled? Yes. Does he also set boundaries that protect us and sometimes he says no? Yes. Why? Because he knows more and he knows better than we do about our happiness and our fulfillment. And we got to get a little smarter than Adam and Eve when the culture says, wait a minute, I thought God was just this good God who loves me like a father. He is. I thought God wanted me to be happy and fulfilled. He does. Then why wouldn't he want me to do this or be this or live this way? You know the answer already. You got the first two pieces of truth. God is good and God wants good for you. If he doesn't want you to do that, it must not be good for you. There must be a higher form of happiness and fulfillment that God has for you but you're just going to have to trust him like a child trusts their parents. The other good thing about the father heart of God, not only does he set up boundaries to protect us, but when we violate those boundaries and we play in the street like we're not supposed to, 
We fall down and skin our knees. He's the first one to step in the street and pick us up and nurse us back to health. He not only tells us you can't have candy every night for dinner, but when we sneak out of our room and we eat candy for dinner and we get a stomach ache, he sits up all night with us, with his arm around us until we're better and then says, all right, let's, let's, not, let's not do that again. He does love and he does forgive. But for us to try to take advantage of the father heart of God because we say God just wants people to be happy, folks, we cannot buy into that phrase of liberal theology because that is not what the father heart of God means. It means I am good. I have good for you. And everything I tell you to do, I want you to do. It's for your good. And everything I tell you not to do, you just have to trust me. It doesn't end good. Can you lean into the father heart of God and trust him? That's the question Jesus is asking in Matthew chapter 7. As we try to figure out spiritual foundations and how we have foundations, worldview beliefs that help us, we're on number two. Last week's was this. Number one, my sin must be judged. My sin caused Jesus to die on the cross. Only when we start with a foundation of sin can we cling to, will we even need to cling to a Savior? Today's is this. My Savior is available for constant relational access that will meet my physical needs and spiritual needs. He's available in every moment of your life that you would call now. He's available. And he has indeed given you everything physically and spiritually that you need for total spiritual fulfillment, including a bunch of things that are on the other side of a safe boundary that don't bring spiritual fulfillment. Jesus says, trust me and stay inside the lines. But if you step outside the lines, I will love you and help you get back in the lines. That's the Jesus we serve. He's always available to meet your needs. Let's close with two questions today. Question number one, religion or relationship? What's Christianity to you? Religious stuff you do or a person that you have a relationship with? Question number two, the serpent. What area of your critical thinking is Satan trying to twist your theology in by giving you part of truth, but not all the truth, so that he can separate you from Jesus instead of bringing you close to Jesus. What area of trying to figure out who God is and how you follow him is Satan playing tricks on your mind that you need to give to God and say, help me, I don't understand all this, help me trust you where you are clear. If you can answer those two questions, you can have some seeds planted in your heart today that might grow into transformational fruit. Would you pray with me as we consider those things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. Christianity, is it your religion or is it a relationship you have with a person named Jesus? How can you begin this week interacting consistently with Jesus? In every moment that you would call now, how can you think of Jesus and be with Jesus? Ask him to show you that. If you already know it, lean into it this week. The serpent. What area of your life or your world view? Do you just need to trust that God knows more and better than you do and surrender to the good father heart of God, trusting that he knows best and he wants best? If you know the area of struggle and tension, just ask God to help you trust there. And if you're here and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, if you're not right with God, if you're not connected to God, if you've tried everything in life but you know something's still missing in your heart, Jesus is the answer. He loves you. He lived for you. 
He died for your unfaithfulness so you could be close to him and right with God. And if you will confess your sin, if you will begin to follow him, he will give you not just life, but life at its best. If you've never done that, you can do it this morning. The Bible says you believe in your heart, then you confess with your mouth. You believe in your soul. I need, I need Jesus. And then you say a prayer and say, Jesus, I need you and I receive you. If, you ne- if you've never done that, but it's your next step today, just repeat this prayer after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. A prayer from your heart is heard in the throne room of heaven. Just pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me in my future. Today I surrender my life and my trust to your good heart. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer in just a second, Pastor Mike's going to let you know how you can tell us of your spiritual decisions so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, give you some resources. But those of you in the room who are already followers of Jesus, Jesus today wants us to understand the Father heart of God and he wants us to walk with him daily. Will you? What has God said to you? What did you hear? What are you gonna do about it? He wants you to understand the Father heart of God and he wants you to walk with Jesus daily. I challenge you, do it this week and see if you don't just experience life, but life at its best. Father, thank you for your Father heart towards us. Help us all day, every day, all the time, real time, walk with Jesus, interact with him, receive from him, and have not just life, but life at its best. That's our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name today, and everyone said, amen. Let's stay in worship with the team before we dismiss today.